It's like Bible aerobics. So, have you ever heard... Oh, as you guys are turning there, John 5, John chapter 5, we'll be in verses 10 through 17, just as you guys are turning there. So have you guys ever heard of uh, a lady named Johnny Erickson Tada? I think that's how you say her last name. <clears throat> well, so at age 17, she dove into a shallow body of water, I think it was at the Chesapeake Bay or somewhere near there, and she ended up becoming paralyzed from the shoulders down, right? So she hit her head, uh, she was instantly paralyzed from a crushed spinal cord. And then on top of that, she almost drowned because she was in the water and she couldn't swim, right? You can't move your arms. But luckily, as luck would have it, we'll say for now, I think it's a God doing things. But luckily, we'll say a crab snapped at her sister's toe, who she was swimming with, which prompted her sister to look for Joni and say, hey, look out for crabs. And then she noticed that she was kind of floating, must have been kind of floating face down and couldn't move. So she swam over and, of course, you know, drug her into shore. And uh, the article, one article I was reading, she was recounting a story. She said she realized something was wrong, jo Johnny did, when she saw her arm around her shoulder, or her sister's neck, her shoulders, right, as she's being drug in, or swam in, and she couldn't feel her arm. Like, she didn't know her arm was up and around and everything else, right? So, needless to say, she's a, she's a quadriplegic. She, she's in a wheelchair. And she is paralyzed and has been paralyzed from the shoulders down, I think, for, for you know, the last 50 or so years now. Yeah, so what would you guys do in that situation? Right, would you quit? Would you ask God why? Would you blame God, maybe? Or would you keep the faith and keep asking, you know, okay, what do you want me to do, God? Like, why did you do this to me? But I'll accept it and let me figure out how are you going to use this with me in the situation, right? How are we going to do this? Would you have peace about this situation, right? Because, he, like I said, peace is one of the themes of Advent. So instead of just going through the Christmas stories, which we'll do, you know, Christmas Eve and things like that, but it's easy to say, oh yeah, we have peace because Jesus is here. But how do we have peace in situations like this in day to day life? How do we have peace with God in day to day situations? Because I didn't ask for this, right? This is somebody's rule. That, is, that they made that I didn't necessarily agree to, right? As kids, you probably remember, right? You start, hey, let's play a game. Like we used to play football on our neighbor, on our street. So we would arrange it, right? So touchdowns are, end zones are from this telephone pole to that telephone pole. And this sidewalk is out, right? Everybody understood the rules, agreed to them, and then we would play. So anybody who tried to change the rules to, to try to win, right? They're just cheating at that point. Because we don't always like the rules, but, but we see who is making up the rules. Is just the world being cruel? Is just nature taking its course? Just the way things, you know, the way the cookie crumbles? We just got to deal with it? Do we even get a say? Right? And so we're looking at this because these questions are real. And so some of this stuff comes up through here. These questions we're going to have, and you see in your outline, that we're going to look in this, in this chapter 5 as we go through this. Because this part of it, that all of the rest of chapter 5, is really this discourse. And we're only going to cover kind of the very first part this morning. And then next week we'll cover the rest of it. But Jesus is, is giving out the rules. And we see how humans or mankind is doing the best they can with the rules they've been given, the commandments that God gave us. right? But the questions exist of who makes the rules, who broke the rules in this situation here. 
And then it seems like we're getting some new rules, and so what do we do with that? What do we do with the, the rules we get from God or man you know, as, as we go through our lives, right? So the application is going to be at the end of this sermon as, what, as we go along, so it's not in between each point. Uh, just, it was just easier to kind of do it that way for this part. So that's the questions we're going to look at today. So let's give a quick recap of the first uh, nine verses here. So basically Jesus heals this guy who's been laying in the pool or near this pool for 38 years. He's been lame. He can't really walk. It doesn't give us a whole lot of information, but he either can't walk at all or he has a lot of problems walking. So he just kind of hangs out by this pool trying to get healed all day. Jesus walks by, picks him up, picks him out and says, Hey, get up, arise. Pick up, your bat, pick up your mat or your pallet and walk. Right, and that's kind of how we leave it at the end of verse 9 here. That's how John leaves the story for us. And so he's going to give us some key information here in a minute in verse 10. But we're going to look at it. And so let's pick it up in verse 10 here. And this is really, this part is a little, it's technically the, the last, very last part of verse 9. But it says, now that day was the Sabbath, right? So this is all the stuff that happened on a Saturday, essentially, for us is the Sabbath, is the, is the Saturday for the Jews. Now this day was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, this is the Sabbath. The law prohibits you from picking up your mat. He replied, the man who made me well told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who is this man who told you, pick up your mat and walk, they asked. But the man who was healed did not know who it was because Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. After this, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. And the man went and reported to the Jews that this was Jesus who made him well. Therefore, the Jews persecuting, began persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. And so we're going to go into 17 regardless of what, if your Bible has a break there or not in like a different section. Because it's important to the conversation of the Sabbath. Is that in verse 17, Jesus responded to them, or he answered them, My father is still working, and I am working also. Right? And so, depending on how your Bible situate, you, know, you may have breaks in there, or heading breaks, and things like that. But to me, the story for what we're doing, it, that is a transition statement, sort of, to the whole rest of, of Jesus' speech, because that's really what the rest of chapter 5 is that we'll cover next week. But we see this happening here. We, and we'll talk about it. You guys probably picked up on a few things maybe already of how the people responded to what Jesus was doing. So here's the main point, though, for this. It's important for us. So when you encounter God, right, when you encounter God, prepare to relearn what you know about how the world works. That's, yeah, that's not very good font, huh? All right. So I'll fix that later. But when you encounter God, and if we've all had these experiences, if you're saved, you've had these experiences, and all of a sudden your life gets turned upside down. Right? That's why I love Acts 17 when Paul gets arrested and everything else and they say, well, he's turning the world upside down. Right? He's messing up our stuff. This is not the way the world works. This is the way you're just supposed to do these things here because we've figured out the rules. But that's because we've made the rules the way we want them. But really the first question comes to is who makes the rules? And so again, this, this takes place between men, right? So we have the Jews who are the religious grouping. And that, so anytime that John, that John refers to the Jews, that's who he's referring to. He's referring to the religious establishment, the people from the church. And so he's dealing with this man who has been lame for 38 years. He couldn't walk. He is 
been around. So Jesus steps away from the crowd. He leaves for the, for the time being. And so the Jews are grilling this guy. You know, who knows how long it was. That they just come across him and say, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing work? Why are you carrying your bed, your, your mat, your pallet, right? So he's basically carrying his sleeping bag with him. And he's doing work. Like that's his job. Exactly, the same thing I said. Well, what are you doing? Hold on. And we're going to get to that in a minute. We're going to get to some irony here in a few minutes. Because what do you notice though? The guy hasn't walked for 38 years and they probably know him. But all of a sudden they're more worried about him doing work on the Sabbath than the fact that he just got up and walked. Right? They just witnessed, or they are seeing, at least maybe not firsthand, but they're seeing the aftermath of this miracle. And all they can be bothered with is, you're doing it wrong. You're not following the rule. So what are you doing? Stop it. And I guess I'm kind of wondering what they expected him to do. Like, was he just going to drop it and leave it in the middle of the street? And just hang out and, I don't know, sit back down or something. I don't know what they're expecting to do, right? They're, they don't go through that. And John doesn't give us that. But, but there is no work on the Sabbath. That's what they're telling them. And so, of course, the Jews, in, in their defense, they're being good Jewish people. They're following the fourth commandment, right? So Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 14, deals with this. So Deuteronomy 5, 5 uh, 12, 12 through 14 says, Be careful to remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God has commanded you. You are to labor six days and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Right? It's a rest. It's holy. Do not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slaves, your ox, your donkey, or any of your livestock, or the resident alien who lives within city gates, so that your male and female slaves may rest as you do. Right? So everybody gets a day off. Everybody needs a break. And you've got to work six days, which I guess I'm glad we get two days off for the weekend at least. Right? But everybody's supposed to work six days. The last, one of the days you take the day off. So on one hand, we see the answer to this. Who makes the rules? God made the rule. God gave us the command to take a rest. Right? Take a break. And don't do any work. So we can just all go home, right? Like, nope. And there are people who do this. And I agree. And to a point, like, look, I'm not doing anything. This is the Sabbath. This is my rest. I remember even as a kid, on Jewish holidays that fell during the week, we would not take any tests. Because it was, that was work. Essentially, now they could come to school if they if they wanted to, but we didn't take any tests to accommodate anybody who was possibly Jewish, so they wouldn't break the Sabbath or break the rule of doing any work on, on that holiday, that holy day, right? So it's kind of cool because we knew, like, okay, it's it's Rosh Hashanah, we're not doing any work today, no tests, right? So it's kind of neat. That was that's how I grew up with my school. So apparently, I talked to Veronica. She said that never happened here. Right? God makes this rule. He commands us. But the question is, though, what do we consider work? Right? What do we really mean by work? Right? Is, is it carrying the mat that you've laid on your bed all day? It's your sleeping bag? Right? Is it digging a pool out in the backyard? Like, this is, i got to get it done before the rain comes. i got to dig out the pool. So I don't care. i got to do this in a week or whatever it is. So whatever. Is it going to the office to catch up on emails? Right? And so... With all the COVID stuff and working from home for people, sometimes it's harder because I can walk literally 30 seconds into my office and go, I'll just check an email and I'm there for three or four hours possibly. Because you get emails, i got to answer them. And now I'm working on my day off. And so you never 
get a break and there's things where you know some people's mental health it, it gets worse because you are constantly working you never get a break <clears throat> and so the Hebrew word for work that's used there it sort of leans like it's your job it's a craft it's something you do to earn a living right because even the farming and everything else at this point when Deuteronomy was written and through on, right? So you're, if you're a farmer, the, the plants continue to grow no matter what. So if you have to get them out of the ground, you have to get them out of the ground. Now, you know, does that mean you work on the Sabbath? Maybe. Or, and you take it, maybe you just shift your day off, right? But if you've got to get it out before the rain comes or something like that, then you've got to do that. So that's the thing, though. But God is saying, look, you need to have boundaries in your life to take a break. Take a break. So one commentator on Deuteronomy explains this. He says, so farming, gathering wood, gathering food, starting a fire, selling items at a market, like if you're in a business or out of your home, would all constitute work. And so all of these things were a job, right? They, were, they weren't just a hobby, like, oh, I'm going to go sit in the backyard with the fire pit. Like, that was, I need a fire to cook food. I need a fire to keep my house warm. I need to do all these things to survive. So you have to do these things. So what are you going to do? You've got to plan ahead. And so even I, the way I understand it now, and you know, the Jewish people now that celebrate the Sabbath or you know, keep the Sabbath, that they, they go so far as they can't even turn on a light switch. So they have it rigged on timers or they have it, that they leave them on all night or whatever it is so they don't have to do any work. That's how they interpret it, whether they're right or wrong. You know, that's, what they're, that's the extent they're going to. And this is kind of what these guys are doing. They're taking it super extreme. But we see during the Exodus, if you read Exodus, the Israelites would gather enough food the night before so they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have to go out and find the food the next day. Right? Because God said, don't hoard all the food you know, Monday or Sunday through Friday or Thursday, but then on Friday get a double portion because on Saturday you can't work. Right? So he worked it out and said, look, gather your food, plan ahead. But in the hundreds and hundreds of years that Jewish religion had time to think about how they define work, as society maybe got easier and people had other jobs, they devised and revised their definition of work into 39 categories of work. 39 categories of work. 39 things, 39 giant lists of prohibition, like big boxes of things you can't do on the Sabbath. And so the first one, the first category is carrying anything. That's the very first category. You can't carry things. So this comes from Jeremiah 17, verses 21 through 22. And so he warns his people, says, this is what the Lord says. Watch yourselves. Do not pick up a load and bring it through Jerusalem's gates on the Sabbath day. Do not carry a load out of your house on the Sabbath day or do any work. But keep the Sabbath day holy just as I commanded your ancestors. And so I think we've talked about it before, but in New York, apparently there's a, some kind of cable thing run around part or all of this, however much of the city or one of the boroughs or whatever, that constitutes somebody's house. So technically, even if you leave your house, you're not leaving your house because it's inside the cable, which the zone of your house. So you circumvent the rule. Of, you're not taking your stuff to your neighbor's house. You're taking your friends, your stuff to your neighbor's room, essentially, in the house, which is your borough, wherever they have it set up at, right? Because we go to great lengths to circumvent the rules without, so we don't break them. 
right? Again, it seems very warranted because the carrying part goes further. So the Mishnah, so that's what their commentaries, Jewish commentaries essentially are. Um, they, they go further and explain this to help people so we're not just willfully breaking the rules, right? Because we, we want to make sure we're interpreting the scripture and making sure we understand what's expected, right? So the Mishnah goes further and says this, says, in a sense, by not carrying, we also relinquish our ownership of everything in the world. A main sign of ownership is that one may take something wherever he pleases. Right? On the Sabbath, we give up something of this ownership. Nothing may be removed from the house. When a man leaves his house, he may carry nothing but the clothing on his back. And listen, this is the important part that I really, I, I like this statement, but this end part is very important. It is God, not man, who owns all things. Right, so I like this. This, is, this by itself, and what we do with it is very in interesting, and it's very important, I think, for us to understand that. That, is, that we are borrowing stuff, and so us, by us carrying it around, you know, maybe we get a little too big for our britches, and, and we need to remember to, like, look, I need to take a break from trying to own things too much. But we're going to come back here to this man, right? Because he knows he's in trouble. They walk up and say, what are you doing? He's like, oh, the guy told me to do it. I'm just following orders, right? He's all over north. I'm just following orders. The guy who healed me told me to do this. And see, we have a bonus. We have a leg up on the story because we know from the narration and the story this far who Jesus actually is. We know he's God. We know he can do these things. We know he heals people. So we know that, but the guy, and John even tells us, he didn't know who Jesus was. He didn't even know his name. He didn't know that he was going around healing people. He just said, that guy walked up, told me this, and I did it. Because I could instantly, as it says, instantly I could get up. Right? He didn't know. He's like, that guy did it, but he didn't know that that guy was God. And so the question is, is who really, this goes into verse 12 and 13, is who really broke the rules? Who's really breaking the rule? So the man adds an accomplice. He's like, well, I didn't do it myself. This guy told me. So I'm, I'm not willfully law breaking the law. I'm doing what the guy told me to do. So there are two people now who need reprimanding, and he did the worse thing than me. That guy who told me did something worse than I did. I'm just following orders. Right? He's dodging a bullet because all of a sudden the heat is off him because all of a sudden they're like, well, who's this guy? Right? If you ever watch cop shows, you watch a lot of cop, t cop shows, like, well, what's your alibi? Can they tell you, can they vouch for you that you were somewhere? Well, no. Like, I was at home watching movies. By yourself? Yes. Does anybody know you were there? No. Hmm. Doesn't really help you. Right? That guy told me, well, who, which, which guy? Uh, I don't know. Right? Because there's a big crowd of people, too, right? There's a big crowd of people here. So he's like, ah, he snuck off. Right, so let me get this straight. The guy walked up, told you to get up, to healed you, and then he just left. Sound a little shaky. I think you're just guilty of breaking the rules. But the question we may be asking, or maybe some people who are non-believers may be asking, is, well, it sounds like Jesus set this guy up for failure, actually. Shouldn't he have stuck around to be there to, to help defend him? It's like, well... But, but no, he didn't, right? So the man in the story, Jesus found the man in the temple, a place where his, or in his hopeless state, he would have found little welcome, but in his healed state, he was now able to enter. 
He was stuck in the pool area, just going nowhere. The other part of this is that the fact that we've got to think about this. The Jews who were questioning the man probably walked by this guy every single day and ignored him. They didn't do anything to help him. They didn't drag him into the pool even. They just, part of the landscape, watch out for that guy. All of a sudden, they've come to his attention like he's got a big green light on or something. He can see him. Right? He's just another sick person in the ER that you see, but you never really know or really pay attention to. And so one side of me likes to think, or kind of when I was writing this out, I was like, wait, these guys are breaking the rules too. And they're actually doing their job because part of their job was to make sure people would follow the rules. So they're being the cops that they are kind of. And they're actually breaking the rules. They're working on the Sabbath too. So who's really breaking the rules here? The two of them, in a sense. But the guy who just got healed is technically following what God said. Because God told him to get up and walk and told him to carry his mat. So he's doing exactly following the commandments of the Creator. These guys are just hassling him. And so how many times as a church person do we hassle people? Sometimes, maybe. And we have good intention, because these guys, I think, do have good intention. I'm not saying they don't, but they're missing the boat. Right? They're missing the forest for the trees here. And so I think sometimes as church people, we do the same thing when we look at people and go, hmm, they're doing that. They have tattoos, they have whatever. Right? Whatever it is that we pick at. Instead of looking and going, hmm, maybe that person needs help. Maybe that person has a problem that maybe I could help somehow. Introduce them into Jesus. <clears throat> right? So do we, were we more concerned with catching somebody doing something wrong? Or are we more concerned with giving people grace? And teaching them and talking to them and understanding who they are? So the question is, what do we do with these new rules as we go through verse 14 and through 17, right? So John, John tells us in chapter 5, verse 14, he says, After this, so after this kind of situation goes away, they sort of seem like the people separate. Jesus found him, so he found the man in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. So what does this mean? Does this mean if you keep sinning, more things are going to go worse? He's going to go blind and lame and whatever, get into a car crash or something, right? Was the man unwell because of sin? Or is Jesus telling the man to stop sinning because Jesus only actually healed his physical problem, but he hasn't addressed his spiritual problem yet? Right? Because the man has to repent. The man hasn't repented. He hasn't been called to repent until kind of now. The man has to repent. He has to cease whatever he was doing in his old ways, lest something worse is going to happen. That something worse really most likely refers to the final judgment. If you do not get saved, you are going to be subject to the final judgment of hell. And that's it. People may not like that. It may sound scary. It may sound like we're trying to scare people. But that's just the reality of it. As a Christian, we have to be comfortable with both the love of God and the wrath of God. We have to understand there's two coins and the only way to get away from the wrath is to accept the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. That He died on the cross for you and you need to repent of your sins. But that is what Jesus is telling this guy. Because the way to repentance is to actually recognize who Jesus actually really is. He is God incarnate. 
He is the Savior. That's why we get excited about Christmas because it's not just about the gifts. It's about the gift of Jesus that God came down. Emmanuel, God is with us. He lives with us for a time being. And he bought his people with his blood. He has come to bring peace on earth, right? To reconcile God and sinner, right? The song we sing, that's the verse. And that verse gets me every single time because that's the gospel message. That's what he did. So the man hasn't gotten this just yet. He is still more concerned with trying to clear his name. And so he basically brings him over and says, all right, come with me. You've got to tell the cops what you did, what we were doing. Right? And so they start grilling Jesus. Who are you? What did you do? Right? And, and notice, they don't ask him, how were you able to heal him? Or any of the sort. They were just basically saying, how can we told him to pick up your stuff? They totally missed the point of what the, the miracle that Jesus performed and just like, why did you tell him to pick up his stuff? And so Jesus responds to him, right? My father is still working and I am working also. So it kind of comes back to the original question of who makes the rules, God or you? Because God is working on the Sabbath and so there is not a time when God is not actually working. And so this is, I felt, I thought very interesting. So theologian and pastor Don Carson points out in one of the commentaries, it says, even the rabbis understood that God works on the Sabbath for otherwise providence itself would go into abeyance, which abeyance is the position of being without an owner. So if God just turns himself off and like leaves for the day, what happens to the universe? Nobody owns it. Nobody's there. Satan can come in and take over everything. Like he leaves the room. You know, he didn't designate somebody else to, hey, Michael, you're in charge. Something like that, right? He, so God is never not working. So, and again, it just comes back to the, the idea of caring, this aspect of caring. It says, one, one rabbi says, God lifts nothing to a height greater than his own stature. So everything God carries is He's really not carrying it because He doesn't pick it up. He doesn't pick it up over His head. He doesn't need to move it like we do. And so He is technically not breaking His own rules by carrying any, carrying us. Because He's carrying us. He's carrying the whole world. Nothing is greater than Him. He is the greatest. We should give all glory to Him because He is the greatest. So everything else is below His Him. So He is not breaking any rules. And so Jesus lifts people up out of the holes they are in. The wedding at Cana, Jesus lifted the, lifted the party up. Jesus lifted up the woman at the well and then all the people in her village. Because they had hope. They knew who he was. They knew the Messiah when they saw him. He lifted up the nobleman's dying son and then the entire nobleman's family and household as well. And here he lifts up this man who could not walk. And all we care about, all this people, these people care about is... Why are you carrying your bed? And we can shake our head and say, geez, those people are knuckleheads. But how many times have we gone, geez, why are they picking up their bed? Don't they get Jesus? Don't they understand? And we're doing the same thing that the Jews do because we are now the religious establishment. And that's hard to swallow for us sometimes because we like to think we're not, but we are. I do it too, so I'm not just pointing fingers here. Because right, every time you point a finger, there's three of them pointing back at you. Right? So, 
We need to make sure we understand and help people and show them grace because we have no authority. We don't make the rules. We have no authority to enforce the rules. We can just point them out. So here's the application parts for this. There's three applications. So one, the way we can do this better is that we pay attention to the intent and meaning of God's Word. Right, you have the letter of the law and you have the intent of the law. And so this can get you into some trouble. Right, so I want to make sure we're very careful with this. But is the point to not do any work on the Sabbath ever? Or is it okay to heal somebody who needs healed because that's the time you're there? Because right, even, even the Jews, they had the rule where well, I, can, I can put a band-aid on your cut, but that's as far as I can go. I can stop the bleeding, but that's it. Like if you're, I can't take you to the hospital. I can't take you anywhere else. Like you just got to lay here with your bandage on until tomorrow. How would that how would that be if you're in a car accident on the Sabbath, and somebody's like, well, let me let me tape up your leg, and you got to lay here, you lay here on the side of Black Road for another 24 hours until we can come get you. That's not going to fly, right? That's just, that's just, the intent is to recharge your batteries, get away from the stuff of the day-to-day -day things you've been doing for six days because we're not infinite beings. We need to rest. But we can't make extra rules and layers of rules just to justify to get around either. Right? Like putting a wire up around the city to say, well, we're technically still in the house. Or if, I, if I can walk, if I sit a bench every 20 feet, I can walk that way and carry my groceries home and stop and take a break for a couple minutes. Right? These things that we do in our lives to say, well, I'm not breaking the rules. I'm taking a break, I swear. I'm, I haven't worked. I didn't work 10 hours today. Right? I, didn't, I didn't work 60 hours this week. I only worked 55. So see, I'm taking a break. You know, it does, that's not how it works. It's not the point of it. The point is to stop and think about God because you've been busy the rest of the week. And so what are the two rules? What are the two greatest commandments? Love God, love your neighbor. Very simple, right? That's it. That's all you need. Because the Ten Commandments are just explanations of how to carry those out. The first four are for your relationship of loving God. The last six are for loving your neighbor. But if you can't remember those, all the other rules, that's all you've got to remember. Love God, love your neighbor. Secondly, God raises you up to His glory. And so Jesus' works glorify the Father. But it also benefits His children, His people, us. Because it brings us up a level. We go from sinner to saint. And He is the one that does it. We do not pull ourselves up by our bootstraps as much as Americans. We love to say that. That's not how it works. Because guess what? If you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, I can't go very far. Like, I understand the point of the saying, but at the same time, I don't know, I'm just going to fall over if I keep pulling my boots too much. I need somebody to help me. I can't do this by myself. He is not impressed by the work that we have accomplished because He has actually made our work possible. Everything we've done in our lives, He has been the one there doing everything else. Getting people in front of us, getting people behind us, moving things out of the way, opening doors, giving us money, giving us jobs, whatever it is, putting us in places to have conversations with people about the gospel at the right times that they need to hear it. All of that is God. 
And the more, the quicker we understand that, the better we, the better off we are. And the more we realize the third application part here is that God is your rest. Because like I said, we can't work 24-7. We will die. You will burn yourself out and you will physically die at some point very quickly. Because you will just wear yourself out. I'm not saying just sit at home and be lazy either. But God is our rest because we cannot earn it. And once we know that, we can take a break. Well, God is doing the rest of it. He's doing 99.9% of the work. Okay, cool. I don't have to try to kill myself to earn salvation. I don't have to kill myself to try to earn God's pleasure and joy. He's already, joy and he's already happy and joyful because you're living your life for Him. And so Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 11 says, Therefore a Sabbath rest remains for God's people, for the person who has entered His rest has rested from His own works, just as God's, God did from His. So let us then make every effort to enter that rest, right? Listen, let us then make every effort to enter that rest. Not only just daily, weekly, physically, but also enter into the spiritual rest we have through God. Listen, so this here's why. So that no one will fall into the same pattern of disobedience. If we are constantly focusing on God, we put our lives in His hands, we rest in Him we don't have to worry about sinning. We don't have to worry about, well, can I walk 20 feet? Or can I, do I have to walk 25 feet? Or can I walk here or there or do this or that? Because really the question becomes, does this glorify God? Does this please God? Everything else is taken care of. And so we can rest from trying to work our way into heaven, but we have to hold fast to our confession, as the writer says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. He says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed, passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. Right? Our confession is that we confess that He is Lord. We do it with our mouth. We confess, and like in Romans 10, we have to confess that. We have to say that. But then we don't just say it like, oh, cool, I'm safe. We hold, we keep living that and saying, yes, Jesus is God. Jesus is God. He's the Lord. He's the Lord of my life. He's in charge. So I'm going to do what he says. I'm going to trust him. I'm going to obey him. Because like the song says, we're going to sing in a few minutes, right? This, there is no other way. That's it. That's how you can be restful and happy. You don't have to worry so much that you're doing or not doing the right thing. Because more importantly, when we hold tightly to Him in the storms of our life, we confess about Him. We know who Jesus is. We know He's this God the Son, and we, so we are protected and taken care of. So going back to the introduction, right? What happened to Johnny Erickson Tata? Right? Did she hold fast to God, or did she slip away? So in the, in the interview, she, the interviewer asked her, she said, were you a Christian? Did you believe in Jesus? She said, yes. But... Listen, but Jesus was kind of tucked away in my back hip pocket. I just pulled him out every once in a while when I needed something. I was not taking the lordship of Christ over my life very seriously. Right? How many of us do that? But she came to realize that she had to put her beliefs into practice. And she says later in that interview, she says, I found the courage to ask myself if I really wanted to do the hard work of believing God and trusting His promises. Not just reading the Bible promises or saying them out loud or even memorizing them, 
but doing the hard work of what those promises asked of me. For instance, Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in the Lord at all times. And she says, that's hard work to do that, right? If we're doing our lives correctly, we're so, we should be so consumed with doing the hard work of living for God that we don't have time for everything else. And we're going to need that break because that's hard, that's hard work. It is hard work abiding in Christ all the time, and God knows this. He knows this. He understands this. He shows joy when we do it right, and He shows us grace when we can't hold on any longer. He gives us the energy to keep going. He holds us in His hands as we live our lives. So you can look up Johnny Erickson. Ta-da! She has a, a website. I think it's called Joni and Friends. J-O-N-I and friends.org. If you want to look at it, they're down in L.A. or Agora Hill, so only a couple hours from here. But she has a huge organization now that helps provide wheelchairs for those in need. And she, one of the bigger things she does is actually helps churches develop um, ministries for those people with disabilities. Right? Because sometimes they're overlooked in the population. So people don't come to church because I, I don't have a place to bring my, my special needs child or even adult or you know, family member, whatever. So... There's no place for them, so I just can't come. So she helps churches. And so she's a painter, so this is her. As a, with one of the paintings, you can look up her, you can Google search her paintings as well. They're pretty cool. She does it with her mouth. She does all kinds of different, pa like paints, drawings, whatever. She's an author. She's written, I think it said 17 books. There's a few movies that she's been made one of her life called Joni, or Johnny, excuse me. It was released in 1979 that introduced the gospel to more than 250,000 people. Right? She has spoken at Billy Graham crusade rallies. President Reagan appointed her to the National Council on Disability to help people. Johnny learned who makes the rules. And she trusted God with her life. And now he has done amazing things in her life Right, both for her and for countless others through her. And so the question is, are you going to continue to fight God and try to make up your own rules? Or maybe follow somebody else's rules for living? Because right, sometimes we get attached to other systems or like, oh, that guy, Plato, or this guy, he's this person, that person. They have, oh, I like their philosophy. Right, and you get off because it may sound close enough to the gospel where you don't really realize it? Or are you going to trust and follow the one who made the rules, right, God, and finally have peace in your life, at least in that aspect with Him? So the choice is yours, and, and, and I believe all of, us are, you know, all of us are Christians in here, but at the same time, doesn't mean we, have, we don't have struggles in our lives. Right? I'm not, again, we're not saying that your life is going to be perfect for the rest of your life once you become a Christian, but it can be made slightly easier if we are going with God instead of against Him. Which usually means going against the world, which is fine. Right, so as we sing our last few songs, right, think about that question and how you want to do things. Because right, that's really what it comes down to. So let's go ahead and transition.